Kings chapter 2. And let's read it from verse 9. When you're there, please say Amen. I read 2 Kings chapter 2 from the King James Version of the, the Scriptures from verse 9. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back, went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters and said where is the God of Elijah and when he had also smitten the waters they parted here and there and Elisha went over and when the sons of the prophets which were to view went to view at Jericho saw him they said the spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha and they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him can we go to 2 Kings chapter 13? 2 Kings chapter 13 from the 14th verse. When you're there, please say Amen. Verse 14. When Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said my father my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen Elisha said to him take a bow and arrows so he took a bow and arrows then he said to the king of Israel put your hand on the bow and he put his hand on it then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands he said, open the window toward the east, and he opened it. Then Elijah said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground and he struck it three times and stopped so the man of God was angry with him and said you should have struck it five or six times then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it but now you shall strike Aram only three times Elisha died 
and they buried him now the bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year as they were burying a man behold they saw a marauding band and they cast the man into the grave of Elisha and when the man touched the bones of Elisha he revived and stood up on his feet Heavenly Father thank you for your word tonight we ask you to give expression to your word this afternoon not tonight but this afternoon and tonight thy kingdom come open the heavens pour out Holy Spirit we need you more than we ever have to bring us into our place of four ordinations the counsels of Jehovah for our lives. May our lives be to your praise and to your glory, O Lord God Almighty. For in you we live and move and have our being. We welcome you, Spirit of the Lord. We welcome your presence. Thank you for being here. Do as you will, precious Spirit of the Lord, that Jesus and Jesus alone may be glorified. Amen. You may be seated in his presence. When God, when Elijah and Elisha crossed the Jordan, Elijah had smitten the waters with his mantle and the waters parted and they crossed through the Jordan out of the promised land into the wilderness and it was in the wilderness that Elijah said to Elisha if you see when I am taken up then you can have the double portion of the spirit and the whirlwinds of God came the heavens opened the whirlwinds of God came Jesus descended on his chariots driven by his horses with the seraphim the mobile throne of God and Elisha's eyes were opened at that moment to understand the dynamics of the operations of heavens the goings of the Lord and the comings of the Lord and as Elisha goes up Jesus takes the mantle of Elijah and he drops it on the ground and Elisha stoops to pick up the mantle. He rips his garment off him because that garment can never fit him anymore. He has grown up in stature to wear the mantle of Elijah and he puts it on. Now he is stuck outside the promised land and he has to get back into the place of promise. And so he takes the mantle, and in the Hebrew it reads, Elijah, Elisha struck the waters and said, Where is the God of Elisha? And in the Hebrew, nothing happened. And so he takes the mantle a second time, and this time he strikes the waters and says, Where is the God of Elisha? Because it is no longer the God of Elijah. Elijah has been taken up. 
now this god is the god of elisha you must have a personal revelation of who you are in god are you with me and when he says where is the god of elisha the waters open up and elisha has passage to re-enter into the promised land now understand that the whole world is in a season of transition like i said to you yesterday in transition we're seeing all sorts of shiftings uh the all sorts of political transitions economic transitions uh the the kingdom is shifting we're all shifting with the kingdom so it is important to understand the processes through which god will subject us to at every stage in your life you're going to have to transition from one thing into another thing. I've just been through three years of intense, very painful transition as God had asked me to give up all the work that I had done for 14 years in the Republic of Benin and to go to a land that I hadn't lived in for at least the last 20 years and to start all over again from scratch with nothing. And so over that period, uh, God was teaching me uh, because many times when you operate in the prophetic, you have to go through what the body of Christ is going to go through so that you can help them go through when their time comes to go through. You cannot lead people to a place where you have never been. Are you with me? Can I go a little bit deeper? And, and so God had me go through this intense period because uh, to understand what is happening in the kingdom and how the kingdom is shifting because touch three people and say you're going to have to shift with the kingdom. If you don't, you're going to get left behind in the wilderness. Are you with me? Abraham had to shift. He had to leave his, 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 his father, his nation, his kindred, his people to go to a land. God would show him. Jacob had to go through a transition. Spent 20 years in the house of Laban and then he comes out and he's in transition. Uh, Israel coming out of Egypt is in transition. They spent 40 years because of disobedience in the wilderness when they should have spent only two years. And then they had to transition and cross over the Jordan to enter into their place of promise. Joshua 1.11, in three days you will cross over to possess the land that God has given you as your inheritance. Deuteronomy 11.11, 11, uh, prepare to cross over because uh, God has given you a land that you will possess as your inheritance. Deuteronomy 1.2, uh, in 11 days you shall, you shall leave Mount Horeb via Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea to enter into the land that God has promised you. Deuteronomy 1.11, and the Lord God will multiply you this day as a thousand times. So touch your neighbor and say, we're in the season of 11. And touch somebody else and say, we're in a season of transition. And, and so we, you have to understand the process of transition. As Elisha stepped across the Jordan with Elijah, and then he gets left on the other side, then he has to cross back over. The, we call that whole process the the rites of passage. Touch three people and say the rites of passage. If you go to Wikipedia, Wikipedia will define the rite of passage as a ritual event that marks a person's progress from one status to another. It is a universal phenomenon which can show anthropologists what social hierarchies values and beliefs are important in specific cultures 
rites of passage are often ceremonies surrounding events such as other milestones for instance the jews the jewish bar mitzvah was a rite of passage your concept of a rite of passage as a general theory of socialization was formally enunciated by a man called arnold von van genep in his book the rites of passage to denote rituals marking transitional phase between childhood and adolescence so whenever you're moving from one status to another status you go through a process called the rites of passage when you're going from leaving one place to another from one level to another level from one level of faith to another level of faith from one level of glory to another level of glory you go through a process called the rites of passage now the rites of passage have three phases the first phase is separation the second phase is transition and the third phase is reincorporation or you can call it the first phase separation or preliminal rights the second phase transition or liminal or threshold rights and the third phase uh, reincorporation or reintegration or post liminal rights in the first phase you move you come to a place where you have to separate from everything that you have known from everything that you have been everything that you have done abraham has to go through four levels of separation uh he has to separate from his nation he has to separate from babylon he has to separate from his father he has to separate uh, from Lot. He has to separate from Ishmael. He has to separate from Isaac before he can enter into the fullness of the blessing as not just, not as the exalted father which Abraham meant, but as the father of many nations, which Abraham means. He had to go through separation. When God was going to use Joseph, Joseph had to separate from his father. He had to separate from his brothers. He had to go into a land of Egypt that he had never known before. Jacob had to run away from home because his brother Esau was going to kill him. And when he left home, he had to separate from his mother whom he loved. He had to separate from his father and he had to separate from Esau to go into a house of a Lebanese system for 20 years 20 is the number of redemption touch three people and say we're in 2011 so you're coming out of that system this year can I go a little bit deeper uh, uh, and so so the, God said it this way. Jesus said it this way. Mark uh, chapter 10 verse 29. Um, a man will leave his father, his mother, his sister, his brothers uh, and wife and lands and houses for his sake and the sake of the gospel. And in this life he shall receive many more fathers, many more, uh, hus uh, many more mothers, many more uh, brothers and sisters and houses and lands. Still only one wife with persecutions and in the times to come eternal life so you elisha had to to leave his prosperous business kiss his parents goodbye which denotes such great affection to follow a man that was the most wanted man in the whole of israel sister jesse had put a 
wanted dead or alive uh, uh, let out for Elijah. And Elisha leaves because of the calling of God to follow the most unpopular man in the whole of Israel. He had to subordinate natural affections for spiritual ties. Until you can come to a place where you can subordinate natural affections for spiritual ties, God can never use you. Because God wants to know that he can trust you implicitly. That your heart is inseparably connected to him above everything else. If you're going to emerge into your high place. And so there is a cutting away which is always very, very difficult. Elisha has to cut away from his family and all that he has ever known to follow a man who takes him across the Jordan. And I said to you last night that the Jordan is a place of death. The Jordan River emptied into the salt sea or the dead sea where nothing lives. Are you, are you with me? So God is going to have to take you through a death process. Because if you can't die to self, you can never walk in resurrection power. The power of the gospel was not in the death of Christ, but in the resurrection of Christ. Are you with me? And so he has to go through this separation. Elisha tells him, if you see in that moment when I am taken away from you, then you can have the mantle. God will bring you into a place of separation from the world that you knew. He will also bring you into a place of separation from everything that you knew about yourself. So that you can go through a transition. So Jacob, when he leaves Laban's house, he and his 11 sons... In Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, 11 double. He gets to the Jabok. Jabok means to empty. God begins to take him through an emptying process where he has to empty all the stigma and all the trauma that Jacob has experienced in the house of Laban. He has to heal him of all that pain. He has to take away all the emotional torment. Apart from that, Jacob was a supplanter by name, a trickster, a deceiver. His mother was a bad girl. He taught, she taught Jacob how to do some bad things, how to trick his father, how to imitate his brother how to lie to his father. If God was going to use Jacob and Jacob was going to emerge into the man called Israel, huh, 
then God is going to have to empty him at Jabbok. Can you touch three people and say you're going to have to go through a Jabbok experience where God is going to empty you of everything you knew about yourself. Even for those of us that are pastors, God is going to have to empty you from all your claim to fame and, and from all your status and from all your pomp because you're called archbishop or because you're called apostle or so on and so forth. I remember the last message I was preaching in the Benin church. Jesus starts to, the Holy Spirit starts to talk to me and says that Jesus did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself of all his glory and became of no reputation. And the Lord said to the Holy Spirit was talking to me as I was praying for about 30 of my pastors that happened to be in my branch. With others, this was a Sunday morning. And the Lord was saying to me, now I'm reducing you to zero again. He said, I brought you back to ground zero. Now you have no work to boast about. He said, everybody used to call you apostle because of the work. They would respect you because of the work. They would obey you because of your position and your office over the work. They would reverence you because of the work. They would bow down to you because of the work. Word. They would uh, lift you up and give you accolade because of the work. Now I have taken the work from you. Watch the hearts of the people. Because your claim to fame was a work. People called you who you were because of the work. And as long as your claim to fame is in the work that you have done for me, then I can never use you. Your identity cannot be in a work. Your identity must be in Christ. Because many of us derive our identity from the works of our hands. And as long as you derive your identity and your status from the work of your hands, then you are nothing before God. Your identity must be in who he says you are and in not what you have done. Now, Elisha is caught in a moment in between the place he was coming from and in between the place that he's going. And his father is being taken up before him. And in that space, between your former somewhere, with all the time and the energy and the investment that you have made in that somewhere, and now you're looking and you're in between that former somewhere and the future somewhere. And that space is a long dark tunnel or passageway or a hellway or the valley of the shadow of death where you're, you're neither here and you're neither there. You have left the old but you haven't apprehended the new. And this passageway is a long dark, there's no light in it. And so you're stuck in a place where you are totally confused. Because you know that God had spoken something to you about your future. 
but he never gave you all the steps that you are going to have to uh, 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 pass through to arrive at that future. And now that you have made the commitment to leave the former, he is not speaking to you any longer about the, the future. He said, Joshua, I've already told you to cross in and go and possess the land. He's not telling Joshua all the details. He never told them about the giants in the land. And so you're stuck in a place of nowhere, in between two places. And it is so dark, you're asking God, what do I do? And God is not speaking. Elijah has gone up. What do I do to cross back in? And God is not answering. Are you with me? And how you handle those brief moments will determine whether you enter into the fulfillment of what God has promised you or you spend another 40 years going around in the desert. Separation involves moving from a former somewhere includes a shift into a new place and a new status. Transition is the period between states during which one has left one place or state but hasn't entered or joined into the next state and the attributes of this liminal threshold is called ambiguity. You're neither here nor there. Has anybody ever been confused before? And now you're in a place of uncertainty because you cannot see what the future holds. All you have are promises that are not being re-echoed or being confirmed. And at this point, like Abraham, when he entered that passageway, the Lord said to him, Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. There comes a stage in your life where the pillar of fire and the cloud are not going in front of you any longer. God says, I am not going ahead of you to make the crooked places straight. He says, now God says, Abraham, you go ahead of me. And so now, you have to go ahead of God because all you have is a word from God. But touch on him and say, God has got your back. And so you're stepping, but you don't know where you're stepping. Are you listening to me? And you're asking God, what next? And God says, just keep on walking. Just keep on going forward. I came to talk to somebody this afternoon and I say, just keep on walking. Just keep on going forward. You may be in a nowhere place. You may be in between two places. Touch on them and say, just keep on walking. You, you, you know, the thing about it is that many times when we're in a place like that, we want to turn back and run back to our comfort zone. But the thing about it is God has closed that door and he has no handle of the door. So you can't go back. Touch on them and say, there's no way back. 
God has locked the door. So touch people and say, keep on walking. Keep on stepping. Go forward. That's what God told Moses to tell Israel. There's no way back. I've closed the door. Pharaoh is behind you. There's no way to the left. There's no way to the right. Go forward. Prophesy to three people and say, neighbor, I prophesy in your life. Go forward. When you get to crunch time, in a moment like this, the decisions that you make will determine whether you enter into your future or you stay in a place of stagnation. As in my case, I left the work, but I was enticed back into the work. I was in a place of nowhere, no man's land. And they said to me, listen, we can't find anybody else to continue to oversee the work. So why don't you just do what you're doing, but continue to oversee the work. And the work was so big, so much that it's high maintenance work that I was stuck in the same place for almost two years. Neither going forward, neither going back. I was in no man's land. And you know what? When you're in no man's land, you get the arrows from both your side and from the enemy's side. You come to a place of stagnation. The degree to which you cut off from your past is the degree to which you can embrace your future. If there's no clean separation from the old, you will never be able to embrace the future and come to your place of emergence. Noah had no time to cry about all his friends that were buried in the deluge. Crushing that threshold always involves a place of uncertainty. And with uncertainty, you have an experience called anxiety. Even though the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Intrinsic in our human nature. Let's call this one spiritual anxiety. In that hallway, you see, when you came out of that door that closed behind you, before that door, you always felt that you were in control and you were in charge. But in this no man's land and in this hallway, God has to show you that you're not in charge and in control like you thought you were. So you have to come to a place where he has to make you lose control so that you can understand that he is the one that is in control. You can't go back because he has locked the door. The only thing you can do is start just continue going forward and walking by faith and not by sight. Are you with me? Anybody who is ever going to be a voice in the kingdom must go through that passageway and gain the rights of passage to make an re-entry in the Holy Ghost and in power. In between the two places, it doesn't just involve separation, but you are in a realm where you have never been before. And you begin to say, do I really want this? Because you don't realize what it takes to get it. 
It takes more than just pouring water on a man's hands. It takes more than just grooming his mantle. It means that you're going to have to be willing to walk away from everything and everyone no matter who it is. You have to be willing to walk away from everything, even your own concepts of yourself. Are you with me? So that God can show you who he made you out to be. Because as long as you have your own self-conceptualization, you limit and hinder God from showing you who you really are. If you don't believe me, ask Jacob. Jacob is there. And the Lord is wrestling with the angel. is wrestling with him unto the breaking of a day. And the angel says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. My name is Supplanter. My name is Deceiver. And so God has to smite his hip bone to get him to change his self-concept and give him a new identity and says, your name is no longer Jacob. Jacob is what the world was calling you. Jacob was your concept of yourself that the world had labeled you with. But you are really Israel. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm not Jacob, I'm Israel. So somewhere in between that passageway, you're going to have to go through an identity change. Touch the women and say, it's going to be an extreme makeover. You're going to have to reinvent yourself. If you're going to make it through this passage of transition, a clear ending, you must have a clear ending of the last cycle. You must have brought closure to all the years that have gone before. You can't live and move forward watching your rearview mirror. And then you must have a definite vision of where God is taking you to. So that the pull of the vision will give enough, create enough momentum to pull you away from your past. If the vision of the past is greater than the vision of the future, then you will retrogress back into the past. Touch your name and say, if you see me. Because it takes one kind of anointing to come out of where you are. But it takes a new level of anointing to enter into where God is taking you. It's not the same anointing. And for the anointing to change, your capacity must change. God must stretch your faith to breaking point. Are you listening to me? So that when you enter your new level, you have grace for that level. Some people still are wrestling with the pain and the discomfort and the comfort and the conflict of the learning experiences that you went through under the mentoring of Elijah. But you have to let touch on them and say, let it go. In ministry, God takes your pain and he makes it your power. When Israel was in transition and they were about to cross over from the wilderness into their land of promise, three things had to happen. Number one, the way that they were sustained, the cloud of fire and the pillar of fire and the cloud by day in the wilderness disappeared. They didn't need that cloud. They didn't need the fire anymore. 
as Joshua steps through the threshold, through the passageway into the promised land, the first person that met him was not the pillar of fire or the cloud by day. The first person that met him was the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of Israel, with a sword lifted up and a sword drawn. That's the first encounter he had in the promised land. Because now it's about to be war. Touch your name and say, prepare for war. Number two thing that changed. Now the way that God sustained them had changed. Now the manna is finished. It's not, there's no manna in this land of promise. When you cross through the hallway and you come out on the other end. Then now you're going to have to work with your hands. No manna from heaven. Touch your neighbor and say the manna has ceased. Number three. God would not hold a revival in the wilderness. If he had held a revival in the wilderness, they would have camped in the wilderness and said, we're not moving. So he waited for revival until they entered into their promise. So touch your name and say, don't pray for revival now. Wait till you emerge. In transition, you're in the season called what I, what, what I call the re. Redefinition. God will redefine your theology. He will, will redefine your ideology. He will have to redefine your philosophy of life. He will have to redefine your worldview. Elijah thought that he was the only one left. And God said, I have 7,000 hidden in caves that have not bowed their knees to bow. So God has to redefine who you are. God has to, you, has to reinvent you. Touch your neighbor and say, you're going to have to be reinvented. Then he's going to have to reformat your brain. I was sitting in a vision and I was sitting down and I saw the hand of the Lord just open my brain and take everything out. Everything I have known for the last 20 years, everything that I have studied in seminary and Bible school, the Lord emptied me. When I got into my land of promise, I couldn't even remember how to plant a church. And I planted several in the Republic of Benin. I didn't even know what to do. Because God is not going to pour new wine into an old wine skin. A new wine skin is forming. And he's not going to allow you to bring your ancient ideology and philosophy into a new wineskin and replicate an old thing in a new thing. Are you listening to me? So he's going to have to empty you of your ways. He said to Joshua, I'm taking you through ways you have never known before. You're going away. You have never been before Joshua. So you can't be familiar with this way. And you can't bring your pharisaical thinking, nor your Lebanese thinking, or your Egyptian mindset into this new wineskin. It's a new structure. A new wineskin is forming. It has to be new wine. You can't bring your old wine into this new wineskin. So God has to empty you of everything you have ever been taught in seminary. And every secular ideology that you have learned, because as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways and our ways. He moves in ways that are past finding out. 
had to remove all that junk from my mind. And God was showing me all the things. And I planted. I was a father over the nation of Benin. But God showed me. I was building according to ancient patterns that I saw my fathers doing. And I replicated what my fathers were doing. And he said, I don't want you in the new land to replicate what you saw your fathers doing. So I have to take you through a whole revolution to redefine, to reformat, to recalibrate, to reinvent, to realign you, to redeploy you, to reassign you. So that you can be relevant in a new season. Touch your neighbor and say, you got to cross over. How many of the Pharisees could cross over into the move of Christ? Touch your neighbor and say, we're in for a revolution. My God, the devil is a liar. And in all this thing, the enemy is attacking you. He throws everything, including the kitchen sink, at you. And you're going through hell. You're facing battles on all fronts. You've got to deal with Jericho, the stronghold. All those demonic strongholds in your mind that were built uh, and empowered by your ideologies and philosophies. And your concept of yourself and who you thought you were. And when the enemy starts coming against you. You begin to lose hope. And you begin to question God. Did God really say? Did I really hear from God? Touch three people and say yes you did. And you're going to have to deal with your Goliath. Because this is where Goliath comes against you. You've dealt with the lion. you dealt with the bear. Now touch your neighbor and say you're going to have to deal with Goliath. And if the enemy deploys Goliath against you. It's because he sees how big your next season is about to be. And he's trying to preempt you from coming into your next season. But God will never bring Goliath against you. Unless he knew that there was something in you that, knew, that knows that can take Goliath out. Touch your neighbor and say, God never allows you to go through a test that you don't have grace to handle. So whatever situation you are faced with, God has given you the grace to handle it. Be tested more than you are able to appear. But with every test, he has provided a way of escape. Every test you face. Every resistance you come against. Every opposition the enemy brings against you. God allows it because he knows he has put inside you the grace to overcome it. Lift up your hand and say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ. Never let the devil intimidate you to the point where you think you can't make it. God, God is not an unjust God to bring an enemy against you that is stronger than you. Touch an enemy and say, rise up to the challenge. I can overcome this guy. I can kill this Goliath. It's in me. That's what God has been preparing me for all these years. You've got to understand that your enemies are God's assignment to reveal your greatness. 
I repeat it again. Your enemies are God's assignment to reveal your greatness. The ammunition that the enemy selects against you is an indication of the place where God has ordained the breakthrough for you. The enemy has no reason to attack you unless he's afraid of you in some area. So the area where the enemy is fighting you the most is the area where God has blessed you. And the enemy knows he has seen you. Oh God, the enemy has seen your future. And he knows that God has put some faith, put some tenacity, put some endurance in you for that future, for where you're going. So he brings an attack against you to try and take out of you what God has put inside you. Oh my God, can I talk to you about Gideon? Here is Gideon sitting in a cave frustrated. Here is Gideon hiding in a cave. And he says, my, uh, and this is what the enemy had done to him. He said, my, I, my father's house is the least in our tribe. Our tribe is the least in Israel. And I am the least in my father's house. The enemy had stripped him of all his self-esteem. You see, sometimes when you go through war, the enemy begins to make you think that you must be a bad boy. The enemy must be, begins to make you think that you're useless, that you'll never make it, that you're a failure in life, that you can never change, that God doesn't love you, <laughs> and that maybe you weren't cut out to be who they prophesied you would be. Are you listening to me? Oh my God, because the enemy tries to take out of you what God has already put in you. And so God has to come back to Gideon and say, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. My God, Gideon had the wrong opinion of himself. And God says, Gideon, I put so much in you. In all this you're going through, you are a mighty man of valor. Oh God, touch three people and say, you're a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor. The devil is a liar. If you believe it, shout hallelujah. Where you are is because the enemy has seen where you're going and he's arranged a preemptive strike to stop you from getting what God has for you. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm not turning back. I'm going all the way as my, the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth. I'm not turning back. He has set before me an open door. Are you listening to me? He closes one door and he opens another door. So I came to tell you some doors are closing because other doors are opening. Stop crying about the closed door. Look for the open door. My God, I got to close. But listen to me, listen to me. He, Paul said, an effectual door of ministry of, has opened to me. But there be many adversaries. When Satan opens a door for you, he paints it with gold and he puts neon lights like that red light or gold light and the green light around the door, beckoning you to come through that door. But when God has opened the door for you, it is shrouded with adversity. It is shrouded with opposition. It is shrouded with resistance. And how do I know the God, the door that God has opened? The door that I'm facing the most adversity. That's the door that has opened. The door that I'm facing most opposition. That's the door that has opened. Touch your neighbor and say, keep on walking. Touch somebody else and say, keep on stepping. Just keep on stepping. 
Ah, don't look at the adversity. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And once you lay your hand on that door, kick the door down. Because the Bible says the light of the righteous will shine brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. Touch three people and say, go through the door. Don't allow the devil to intimidate you. He's a liar. Don't allow. Don't look at the opposition. I'm not looking at what I'm going through. I'm looking at where I'm going to. And when you come into that place and you know that all hell has broken loose against you, it's because hell has recognized you and you have become a voice. I adjure you, come out of him in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the man looked and he said, Paul, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? When you come to a place where hell recognizes you and knows your name, then you have become to a place of emergence. As three people, does hell know your name yet? <laughs> you're not going through what you're going through because of where you were or where you are. You're going through what you're going through because of where God is taking you. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm going somewhere. my god let me just close this thing down there's seven levels and things you have to do in transition seven steps you have to sacrifice number one to get to your next level number two you have to conquer your confusion number three you have to show spiritual hunger and increase your spiritual appetite for your next threshold number four your associations will help determine your destinations. You cannot run with the people you are running with before. Your level has changed. You've got to start running with new people. Don't try to run with the people that were on your last level. Number, where are Number five, you've got to seek truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And you've got to stand fast in the truth and in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And then to cross over, you must have the right spirit. Almost two million people died in the wilderness because they did not have the right spirit. king of Israel, Joash, went to Elisha, who was in his deathbed about 60 years after he had inherited that mantle. And Joash says to him, my father, my father, the same thing Elisha said to Elijah, is what this king of Israel says to Elisha 
my father, my father, the horse, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. Are you listening to me? Which means God opened his eyes to see what Elijah had seen 60 years ago. But 60 is a number of idol worship. Are you listening to me? He saw the same thing. He saw the goings of Christ. He saw the dynamics and the operations of heaven. His eyes, the heavens opened to him. And Elisha says, now take a bow and arrow and shoot. And he shoots. And he says, so will God shoot arrows at the enemies of Israel. And then Elisha says, now take the arrows that are left and hit the ground. And the king only hits the ground three times. And in the Hebrew, he says he stopped. He was not totally committed. He didn't understand the prophetic significance of what was just about to happen. He did it just out of pure politeness uh, and reverence for Elisha, but not out of a heart's commitment to God. And Elisha said to him, you, the heavens were opened. You saw God. You obeyed. You heard my voice. But if you had obeyed me and hit it five times or six, five is the number of grace. You would have been become the greatest king in all Israel. Because you would have discomforted the most dangerous foe. An enemy of God. But because you didn't, you only hit it three times. You have lost your destiny. And the greatness that God had intended for you. Because you could not cross the threshold. Into your next level and status. He had an encounter with God. He saw God. And he did not change. So you can have an encounter with God and still go back to your comfort zone. Unless God takes you through pain where you are. So that the pain where you are is greater than anything else. You will never move from where you are. Many of you are going through some pain right now. Because God is trying to get you to shift. The pain is the only thing that will get you to move. And if you keep on staying there when God is moving you elsewhere. He will continue to increase the pain. And with the increase of the pain will, the, will be the increase of your frustration. But the frustration is not bad. God looked at Gideon's frustration and called it might. He said, go in this thy might. Because you know those toys that you wind up and you wind up and you wind up? That's what God is doing with your pain. He's making you frustrated. He's winding you up. And winding you up and winding you up. You know when you've wound up that toy and you put it on the ground, it goes. And that's what God meant to Gideon. He said, go in this thy might. Now you're ready. The pain of your suffering, the pain of, of, of hiding, the pain of and the frustration of trying to bake bread in a wine press. I gotta stop. The last phase of transition is reincorporation. God said to Joshua, now Joshua, I will magnify you before all Israel. And Joshua steps out 
and here he is and God begins to magnify him before all Israel and he's now reincorporated into a world on a much higher level to do damage to the satanic kingdoms of that world for which God will put power on you put a new level of faith upon you a new anointing and begin to magnify you but you've been through a death experience so you never bask in the magnification you give it all to God because all the glory belongs to him I hope I've been able to help some of you in a place of transition the rest of you are coming into a place of transition because as surely as the kingdom is shifting as surely as there's a church shift going forth you are also going to have to make that shift if you're going to be relevant in the next move of God upon the earth God bless you 